So Peter, as you know, in 1 Peter is addressing um, a Christian audience. Most of them are Jews who became um, followers of Christ, so Jews for Jesus, if you would. Um, they are facing much persecution as they have um, experienced Nero turning on them and the Roman people turning on them, and so they're persecuting them, and they're being pushed out and dispersed, and so they've, been, they've lost their homes and jobs. Good chance they were split um, from family members or friends. Um, they had to leave much behind. Um, they're running. Um, they're scared. Um, they're scared for their life, um, scared that they could be crucified too. Um, they just don't know what's going to happen. So in our first message, Jesus has addressed their despair, right? Think about it. You lost everything. Your biggest concern is your physical belongings, and he wants to address their despair. And so he reminds them of the hope of the gospel and their future hope that one day they will receive a future inheritance, the best inheritance that you could ever receive, not from a dead relative or whatever, but the greatest inheritance that we can be offered through the person of Jesus Christ, and that is the inheritance of glory. That's the inheritance of heaven. And then last week, Mike, not Mike, Matthew McGinnis preached a message on um, unmistakable <coughs> holy life. And so there's a temptation, if you think about it as Christians, we're, we're being persecuted and we're not getting what we want. We're not living life at the way we want it. And so um, Peter knows this temptation when <coughs> we are tempted to act like the world, think like the world, sin like the world, and not live holy lives. And so Peter addresses this really quickly as individuals. He calls us to live unmistakably holy lives in an unholy, ungodly world. And so his, the first two messages, Peter is addressing more of the individual to grant them hope and then call them to live the holy lives that God has called them and saved them to be. And now Peter understands the doctrine of sin. He understands that humanity has, is born in sin, and even those who are believers, we have been saved from the penalty of sin, but we still have this flesh on us. We still have this kind of baggage that's still bent toward um, our old life. And so Paul excuse me, Peter understands this tendency until we get to heaven that we are still tempted to sin. And so because of that, in circumstances when there's hardship and persecution, we often just want to just think of ourselves. And so we function in this kind of tunnel vision mindset. And so it could come and manifest it our, itself in a number of ways. If you have a, a panic attack, and I've had those experiences, the only thing you're thinking about is yourself, how you feel when you have this panic attack. You're not really thinking about how anyone else feels. Sometimes you feel personal frustration or resentment. And really, you're not thinking about how other people feel in those situations too. You're just thinking about, I'm just frustrated, I'm just resentful, or I am angry at so-and-so. Um, the same goes for our, how we perceive and express ourselves through the pandemic or politics. This is 
my view. And usually when you have your view, it's very hard to look at the other view. You try, you can get a little bit of the other view. But the reason why you have your own political view is because you're convinced of it and you see that particular view. And it's just hard to look on the other side. And same for how you walk through pandemic life. Um, <clears throat> we, we work hard to see both sides of the view. But to some degree, there's a tunnel vision that's happening. And so um, <clears throat> when this is happening, there's one sense that we are blinded and we can't see as well as we can. And so um, <clears throat> maybe another way of looking at it, there's a gentleman by the name of Joe Rooks. You probably have never heard of him, but he was a cameraman and he worked for CBS Sports, Wide World of Sports, and he would cover drag racing events. And so he was fascinated about by um, racing cars that would just race down a track really, really fast. Just a quarter mile is a super short race. And so... His big thing was being a cameraman that could keep the camera on the one particular car racing down the race. And so um, this one day, the car hit the side rail, and <coughs> it flipped, and it spun. And his whole mindset was to focus his camera on this one car as it flew up in the air. That's all he could think about. That's all he was focused on. And so while Joe kept his camera and his eyes on the, dis on the disintegrating car coming down the lane, his mind and his eyes were only fixed on working and adjusting his camera to focus on the wreck flying down the quarter-mile track. He was so focused on this one thing, he had no idea, no clue, that another part went flying up in the air. A piece of the car <coughs> was spinning in the air <coughs> at over 200 miles an hour. As Joe's eyes were fixed on the main thrust of the car coming down the wreck, a piece of metal came flying at him and lodged itself in his head, and Joe died because his eyes were only focused on one target. And so, in the same way, Peter wrote this letter as he understand and understood his audience back then. I think he's also speaking to us in the same way today. We all experience a degree of tunnel vision. Um, for Joe, his job was to focus on these dragsters. And our tendency is to focus what? On ourselves, on, on what we see and perceive. Theologians over history also have understand this doctrine of sin and this tendency toward man, <coughs> for mankind to, to think this way. There's one theologian by the name of Augustine in the fourth, fourth century who studied this tendency of human beings to think toward themselves. Um, he called it a selfish tunnel vision, and he gave it <coughs> the phrase homo in incurvatus in se. All this means is that we have <coughs> humans are curved inward on oneself. Humans are curved 
inward on oneself. And it's the very normal, very wrong disposition that we all experience since the fall in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> in short, homo incuritus is basically another name to describe our sinfulness, describe our sin nature, that <clears throat> we are bent toward living, our, li- living in such a way that we want to be our own kings. This curving inward on ourselves is a fundamental thing that we call sin. It's really deeply rooted in our own selfishness. And so <clears throat> this manifests itself in a number of ways. And so I'll just kind of throw out some of them. We see homo incurvatus on the highways of life as we interact with one another, maybe in our marriage, maybe in our family, and maybe how we relate to one another in our local church. You think about it, in our local church, we don't say it out loud, but in our mind and heart, we have the people we like to talk to more, and we have the people we don't like to talk to as much. We have the people we're more comfortable with, and the people we're not as much comfortable with. We have the people that we have some history with, our go-to people, and some people we just don't have any history with. And we have all this selfishness that kind of just operates within us. And so... There, there's more that goes on. Maybe um, you're, in a, you're in a work setting and you guys worked on a project together. You have a team of two or three and your project happens to go very well. And so your coworker takes all the credit. <laughs> or maybe the other situation, your project didn't go so well and they're quickly, they're quick at blaming other people on the team instead of saying, we all failed as a team together. Uh, parents, we often tell our kids to clean the room or take out the garbage. And we see this incurve, homo, <coughs> incurvatus, rears ugly head. And we see the facial attitude comes out. Oh, I don't want to do this. I'm not going to move my feet. Um, or maybe you recognize it in other ways. Given how many times you look at the mirror and just want to see yourself. Um, and what you see is... Um, what you get. Uh, maybe you see it in your husband and wife relationship. Um, I see my own pride and my own sinfulness all the time as I relate to my wife. Um, in the simplest task, she may ask me to shut the lights off or to make sure the doors are locked. Sometimes I do it right away. Sometimes I'm like, oh, God will protect us. We don't need to lock the doors. Um, but really, I know to honor her best and to encourage her security would be to get up and lock the doors and deal with the lights and make sure all the appliances are shut off at night and those kind of things. And so um, so this is this concept of sinfulness and where the theologian has named this bent inwardness where we want to live life toward ourselves. And so basically what we end up doing is we form this perfect circle around ourselves, where we can only see ourselves, our own problems, and we pretty much just look at everyone else as is their problems. And so I'm trying to walk my mind more and more into Peter's audience as they have been dispersed and things aren't going well, and Peter's calling them the hope and future glory to live out holiness, 
I think the biggest temptation as you're looking at the people around you, it's easy to, <clears throat> to go in a one, one or two directions. And so I believe the Lord would have us submit ourselves to submit ourselves to the Lord as we're going through difficult and hard times. But our most base and most natural temptation is to look at the people around you and take it out on them, whoever might be around you. Um, they may take it out on their wife or their kids or maybe their coworker or boss who's around them as they're being dispersed. Um, I, I've talked to pastor, over pastor in the triangle. They go, this is the hardest season of shepherding churches by far. And they just go, church members, we don't know what's going on with them. But they think it's the easiest and most convenient thing. Let's just blame the pastor for everything, as if they set forth a pandemic and we feel this way. And so when we don't get our way, when masks, every version, um, you're requiring us to wear masks. But we have freedom in Christ and we have freedom. I'm gone. I'm leaving your church. Even though I've been here for 20 and 30 years, you baptized me, you counseled me, I've trusted you for 30 years, but I'm gone. We, we, we've seen stories like that over and over. Um, just all kinds of crazy stuff where the pastor is the easiest person to blame and to make the scapegoat in this season. And so I think Peter knows that. Um, Peter knows that the temptation is there to blame others. And so he wants to call and address not, the, not these people in the individual sense, but he wants to call them to be unified in and around the gospel. And the way he does it is fascinating. And so he wants to reverse this kind of curved mindset to oneself. And he wants to reorient our mind and thoughts toward the creator and toward the redeemer. When, when anyone is constantly thinking of themselves or blaming others, I want to guarantee you they are not centered on that gospel at that time. In that moment, they're centered on basically themselves or definitely something else, but it's definitely not the gospel. And so Peter knew this temptation, and so he wants to address it proactively. And so as your pastor, I regret not preaching this six months ago or a year ago. We need I should have preached it a long time ago. Um, but we'll take it reactive and proactive training as it comes. So this morning I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would enlighten us big time. And if we need to do some reverse actions, so be it. If we need to do things now to adjust and into the future, let's make the necessary adjustments. As we, as Yahing read, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, 22 to, <coughs> to 2, 3, um, we're going to look at this passage. And my hope is that we would experience uncommon togetherness rooted in the gospel in two particular areas, through spiritual birth and through spiritual hunger. Just two areas, spiritual birth and spiritual hunger. So the first idea or truth I want you to see is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. Uncommon togetherness rooted in spiritual birth. So if you remember, Peter is addressing the elect exiles who are facing intense persecution. There's really no hope, um, no encouragement in their near future. As we kind of looked at our future, it's only going to be one month long, oh, six months, oh, a year. Um, for these saints, they had no idea when things were going to get better. All they knew is things were getting worse and things were intensifying. And so they were 
in the self-protection mode and they're worried about themselves. When is this going to end? Where am I going to live? Where am I going to eat? Where am I going to see my family? And so they're thinking about number one. And Peter says, hey, no, Christian, follower of Christ. This is how you are to live. And this is what he has to say. He reminds the, the elect exiles, these Jewish believers, that they are followers of Christ. And he says in verse 22, having been purified by your souls, having, excuse me, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but a imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And the word and this word is the good news that was preached to you. And so I want to draw out a few things. Notice and zoom in. I guess zoom is a popular term these days. And circle the phrase, having purified your soul and, has, and have been born again. Both, two, both these two phrases are in the past tense. Paul, not Paul, Peter is pointing out to these exile <coughs> believers that it was by God's sovereign grace that their souls have been purified. And so he's reminding them that there's been a divine work in your life, in their life, to purify their souls. This is huge. And the second thing he's reminding them is that they have been born again. And again, this is another act of God to make someone who is spiritually dead alive in Christ. And so God has basically <clears throat> done two unique divine miracles in which all these believers who are scattered and <clears throat> throughout um, the Mediterranean world and all the believers here today and around the world, we have all experienced this unique miracle that we have what? Have had our souls purified and been born again. So this unites us in a common reality, a common experience, a common miracle that we have been united through the <clears throat> divine miracle of being born again. And so just to understand the Greek for <clears throat> both these ideas, this is a past participle. It was done in the past. It was finished and complete, but yet has present and future implications. And so <clears throat> this is God's amazing Christ to change and transforms one's heart. And we live out this reality now in the present knowing that we have a new heart, knowing that we are a new creation, knowing that we all have a future hope. And so I want you to come with me to Ezekiel chapter 35. I could be wrong. Someone may need to correct me out there. Or 30, I think it's 36 verses 25 to 27. Ezekiel 20, feeling you can correct me or fix me. I think it's 36, but my note says 35. But I think it's 36, 25 to 27, where Ezekiel says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. It's 36? All right. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. 
Ezekiel prophesies what, what's happening here, the second birth that's tied to John 3, the story of Nicodemus. And you just see God's plan um, to, to give us um, a new birth in this passage. Hundreds of years before it actually happened. But he says this in verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. This is a spiritual purification that was being alluded to by Peter. And then he goes on and says, I will give you a new heart and a, a new spirit, and I'll put that within you and remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. My friends, this is the second birth. This is what it means to be born again. And this is what Peter is drawing onto and drawing back to. He says, as you are being persecuted, as you have been scattered and going through this hardship, God has put the Holy Spirit within you that you would continue to walk in his statutes, that you would be aware and mindful of God's word and obey the Lord when things are hard and difficult and not just say, I'm just going to live fleshly and live any way I want, but to understand that you have been saved and redeemed and now you're in this process of being sanctified. And so if this is true, if you've been born again, guess what? That makes you alive in Christ that makes you a child of God, that makes you a child to the same Father, the Heavenly Father. And guess what? Those are more reasons, gospel reasons, that we can find uncommon community united in the gospel. So we have the same Father. So as you, as you are ever tempted to blame or attack or get frustrated easily, remember right away, this is your family. This is your blood family. This is your born-again family that we are relating and connecting with. Um, so on that basis, Peter wants to remind us that the Holy Spirit indwells us. This Holy Spirit actually <clears throat> converted our souls and now empowers us to reflect the gospel, to display the gospel in some really practical ways. He says that we are to have a sincere brotherly love Love one another <clears throat> earnestly from a pure heart. And so Peter talks about two different words for the word for, for love here. It's, it comes twice. One is uh, a brotherly love. Um, <clears throat> and this is, comes from the Greek word phileo, love, where we get the idea from a city north of us, the city of Philadelphia. And so that's a city of brotherly love. And so we are called to exercise a brotherly love with one another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a spiritual family. And then he also calls us to live out a sacrificial level, love, an unconditional love, a love <coughs> based on the same way in which Christ loved us. Um, he didn't love us because we were cute. He didn't love us because we, you know, had nice clothes or our hair looks good. He loved us unconditionally. And so he calls us to do the same, to love others, not based on anything in terms of what you see or perceive and what you may get out of that relationship. He literally says to love one another um, as family and to love unconditionally. And so 
that's the family relationship that he is talking about um, here. And he says this is a fruit or the byproduct of what? An imperishable seed or perishable seed? As you look at this as an imperishable seed, it's the word of God that produces and changes us in such a way that we live these new lives as new creations based off the resurrection um, son, Jesus Christ. We are called to live out resurrection lives. And because of this spirit working in our life, this is all played out, empowered in such a way that we are to exercise agape love with one another, that we are able now, because of God's grace, to overlook differences, to allow <coughs> grace um, of, of latitude, of different views and perspective. With an, <coughs> I, I was going to say with no attitude, but really with the attitude of Christ, with humility um, <coughs> toward one another. And so when this happens, we see that we are to function in this way as a family. And we know as children of God, he says that we are to do this in, in obedience. Um, <clears throat> we come to Christ by faith um, in the gospel, and he calls us to live as children <clears throat> walking in obedience to him. And so you know you are maturing and <clears throat> in Christ when you see your life more and more obedient. And so you see yourself <coughs> living this new life in Christ when you're a ch living out the fact that you're a child of God. Prior to being a child of God, you are an orphan. And so your new identity, I believe your primary identity as a believer, is that of a child of God. And so, <coughs> and so I want you to just think about this over and over. This is who you are. You are a child of God. God. And so um, <clears throat> when the Bible calls us and commands us to live out um, love with one another, he's really calling us to be a child of God. He's calling us to be what he is. There's a few passages in the Bible that says that God is, and one of them is God says he is spirit. And another passage says that literally God is love. And so God is saying, hey, you don't need to manufacture this love. And it, but live out the love that has been poured out in your heart. Live out this love that God is empowering you toward. He says, you don't need to live out this, you know, I just got to just manufacture it. And it's going to chug through it. And it has this like this limit, like it's like this fuse that's lit. And it just goes for a moment. I'm going to love this person for five minutes. I'm just done and just blows up. Or, oh, I can sustain it for a year and just, Oof, something happens. Now, there's an abiding love that God wants to bear and work in, through, in and through your life that you would bear much fruit and glorify the Father. And so um, this is what God has called us to, transformed us to, and he's given us the two best assistants or means of grace, God's holy word and God's holy spirit. Or if you'd like to look at it another way, God has given us the word of God and the spirit of God to shape us, to mold us, to, to move us, to conform us into the image of Christ in the moment-by-moment -moment basis in our mind and in our hearts to live out the gospel. And so he reminds us of 
what he has given us in verses 24 and 25. This amazing word of God. And he says again that the fact that you're born again, and that you, the fact that you've been purified was on the basis of this. And he says this, he says, all flesh is like grass and all is glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God remains forever. God's eternal word remains forever. And the word of God is good news that was preached to you. It was this good news that saved you. It was this good news that unites you. It was this good that made you a part of God's family. And so our first birth was a birth of flesh <coughs> that was incorruptible. And so whatever is born of flesh is destined to what? Die and decay. This explains why mankind cannot hold uh, an organization, a civilization together because it wasn't destined to do that. It wasn't made to do that. It's like the flowers. It's like the grass. It will eventually die. Fads, movements will come and go because those are man-made. The Tower of Babel was man-made. Um, that came and it, it went. I'm sure they thought, man, we are so cool at that time. And in the end, we see the Babylon of the Great in Revelation 17 and 18. And all that will come to pass because it's man-made, made out of human effort. But what Paul is saying is that you have been born, excuse me, Peter is saying um, <coughs> is that you've been born again from an imperishable seed, and that he has set you up to live for eternity. Um, I love this quote by Warren Wiersbe. Listen real carefully. I had to read it to myself several times to understand what he's saying. He says, The externals of the flesh that could divide us means nothing when compared to the eternals of the Spirit that unites us. Did you catch that? externals, the externals of the flesh that could divide us means nothing when compared to the eternals of the Spirit that unites us. When we're focused on that which eternals, that which that unites us. What's eternal? Souls, God's Word, the Gospel, our future hope. We want to build a church according to God's eternal Word. You can have the best food, the best production, the best entertainment, and garnered this huge crowd. But if it's not built on the Word of God, it's not going to go from this life to the next. And it's not going to thrive in seasons of difficulty and hardship. You'll see the true colors find, bear itself out, and it will fall apart. It won't thrive. It won't survive. It will. I don't know what rhymes with I, but it's just going to fall apart and die and wither, just like the grass and just like the flowers. Lastly, in First Peter chapter two, verses one to three, Peter talks about an uncommon togetherness rooted in spiritual hunger. By the bare fact that Peter's saying, "Hey, where are we united? On what? On what basis?" He's not saying, "Hey, we're not. We're not saying." He's not saying, "Hey, let's unite." upon political party or upon this geographical region. We're from Macedonia. We're from, you know, Judea. He's not saying to unite like that. 
he's saying unite based on the fact that you have been born again. And one of the realities of being born again is that you have this huge, intense spiritual hunger. And that's unique to God's people. And that's unique to expressing this love that God has called you to express as family to one another and not attack and blame one another. And he says to do this sincerely and with earnestness. And so you see in verse 1, to go through this process of change and transformation, Peter is saying you need to repent of your sins daily. In one sense, he need, he's saying you need to deal with your spiritual arteries that were clogged for so many years of sin up to this point in a practical way. So you see in verse 1, he says, So put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, and envy and slander. These are all commands to put away on a regular basis. And so, again, the temptation is to continue to exercise hypocrisy, malice, envy, and so forth. And um, I'm going to save some time, but I'll just highlight one word. All slander, this refers to whisper, um, gossip, backbiting. It's the idea of defaming one's character. And he's saying, hey, Christians, we need to deal with our spiritual arteries and literally put some Drano in there. The Drano that we need to put there in there is called repentance. Literally identify these sins, the idols of the heart, and forsake them, turn from them, recognizing that they are sins that God died for on the cross, and turn to Christ in faith and turn from the sins in repentance. And so the Lord is gracious to not just say, hey, let's turn from these things, but he wants to provide the best means of grace possible. And he provides us the best nourish best spiritual nourishment. And so he wants us, this is a new word for me. I looked it up in the dictionary. Um, The first one was repenting. The second term I'm going to use is reveling in spiritual nourishment. Let's revel in spiritual nourishment. The idea, now that our spiritual arteries are clogged, let's satisfy ourselves with the word of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2a, he says, Like newborn babes long for the pure milk, pure spiritual milk. And there's a couple of nuances here, a couple of key words. He didn't say, hey, let's address the infants or, or the babies. He's saying these are newborn babes, literally from the get-go, right out of the womb. If you've had a baby or know someone who has a baby, literally what doctors do or nurses do, right when they the baby comes out of the womb, they may like wipe off of some of the amniotic fluids, but they pretty much, the next thing they do is plop the baby right in front of the mom and says, hey, you know, let's, let's get some of this physical nourishment right away to feed. And it's, it's amazing. Like, you know, the baby has never done this before, but instinctively and intuitively, they know what to do. They crave Physical milk, it's, it's amazing. Sometimes there's some complications, but definitely the baby gets the idea and they instinctively crave physical milk to grow. And they do this for many weeks and months and sometimes babies nurse this way up to even a year or more. <laughs> Peter's making this graphic illustration to say, hey, to you believers, when you're in this journey, 
It's not time to go dehydrating yourself. It's not, it's not time to just like, we're going to go through this hardship um, and just burn our, our, our fumes. He's saying, hey, we need to come back to the word of God. We need to, we need to long like once we, we once did as newborn believers, now as older believers, to crave the spiritual milk, God's word. May that nourish our soul. May that satisfy our soul in this desert, in this hard season that we find ourselves in. It's not time to, to, to fast from God's word, all right? It's time to take more and more in. And as you go from milk, you need to go on to meat and, and, t- and deepen your faith and deepen your commitment. And so um, <clears throat> it's interesting, the ESV had some detail. The NSB was so much better um, in this passage. <clears throat> in the ESV, it just says um, spiritual, pure spiritual milk. <clears throat> but in the NSB, it reminds you a few more things. This is God's word. It's unca- un- uncontaminated. It's unmixed. And so this is a little bit I just want to continue to help you to understand. As we teach God's word at Rooted Church, we major on books of the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. And we just want you to help you to foster the mind of Christ in you. Um, I encourage you in your quiet time to read the books of the Bible. Um, this is how you understand God's will. Literally go to the table of contents. And if you are struggling to start, read the shortest books of the Bible, like you know, Second and Third John or Psalm 118. I think that's like, oh, that's a one little chapter in a big book. But um, start with little ones and just gain some motivation and cross out the small ones and then increase the size. Go to three chapters, five chapters, and then hit Isaiah 66 chapters. But start somewhere. But you see, you're encouraged as you cross out or make a check mark by each book of the Bible you read through. But you have to make progress um, in growing spiritually. And the second thing, my second caveat is read books, secondary books that amplify what God's word says, not <coughs> takes you on all these rabbit journeys explaining <coughs> God's word away. There's so many books that frustrate me that take a hot topic and don't address the topic with God's word. They, they address the topic by all these sidebar issues and they sound good and clever, but it's not really addressing the issue of the matter. They, they don't even explain God's word and it makes me crazy. These books should be burned and thrown away. Um, I, we need it. Christian distributors say, eh, we're not putting those and we're not publishing those. And if you have some, don't give them away to other people because those are spiritual trash. And there's other things that Satan is trying to dupe us. I call them spiritual junk food or amusement that we'd run to. You guys, we just need God's word, his pure milk, and just take that in. And you'll know <coughs> what is good and what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. And you'll know how to live right. You need to beware of sugar-coated poison. It tastes good initially, but makes you feel terrible later on because it's poisonous. All right, verse 3, the latter part here. Paul's hope, sorry, Peter's hope, is that you would grow up in salvation. The hope is that you would not continue to be a baby. Um, but that you would grow up in Christ and that you would mature, that you'll see greater levels of obedience in your attitude and action. 
I think the saddest thing to see is an adult baby in several ways. Um, they don't know how to feed and take care of themselves, and their adult babies still act like a baby even though they're physically adults. It, it's just the saddest thing. So the same goes for Christian, Christians. We, <coughs> Christians, you've been a believer for 10 years, 20 years, and you still act and feed like a baby. And so Paul's hope is that you grow in respects to your salvation with right doctrine, right passion, and right practice. And then lastly, to realize the Lord is good. He's calling this whole community. He, he may, they may be tempted to say, hey, you may be thinking the Lord is not good. Look at all this bad is happening to me back then and today. And he's reminding them of their salvation. They're part of the same family. Now, remember how you used to long for God's word. And now he says, remember that day. And again, taste that the Lord is good. And remember that goodness. And go back like you once did. As a newborn babe, it's so fascinating. I know we have pregnant ladies around here. Um, they're going to have a baby. <clears throat> One reason why a baby cries is why? Because they want some milk. And they'll cry really loud for this milk. And sometimes they cry because they want to be changed. But early on, the main thing they cry is because they are hungry. I think the most fascinating thing when it comes to believers, we might drink heavily early on as believers, but it's so funny that I don't see many times believers after a while crying for this milk loudly. We should be crying out for this as a community regularly. We want milk. We want now. We want, we want meat. We want good meat. We want solid theology. We want to be preached at in such a way that is causing us to love Jesus more. And so we see this phenomenon when something is good, we see people, we, you go back to it more and more and more and more. And I'll leave you with this closing illustration. It's fascinating just driving to, from my house in Apex to here. It, it is amazing. Um, chicken sandwiches or chicken burgers are becoming so popular. I mean, look, th let's think about it. The first time I had a Chick-fil-A sandwich, I'm like, this is good. And I've gone back and I've gone back and I've had my apps and I got my free deals over and over and over. I have probably spent hundreds of dollars, if not thousands, on Chick-fil-A. And the funnier thing is, Zach B's has amped their chicken sandwich to be kind of like Chick-fil-A. McDonald's has done the same thing too. Popeye's has done the same thing too. Is there another one I'm forgetting? But my... KFC hasn't quite done it, but I know they're going to amp theirs to it. I, I predict that. I would put my little soul on that line. I think they're going to do it and make something very similar. My whole point, when it's good, you go back to it over and over and over and over. And other people will copy you. I want you to know that the Lord is good. And his word is good for your soul. And it's the only thing that's going to satisfy your soul over and over and over. And so I want to call us back once again to those early days 
when we just long for God's word. And that we would call not so much back individually, that we'd come back collectively as a church. I believe if we can meet together in person now, we can meet together in growth groups, if we can meet together in parks, we can start having park groups and growth groups in the park, whatever we do, I think we need to come out again and start journeying back together, church. So that what? We can truly be an uncommon community living this togetherness in a real and tangible way rooted in the gospel. Two applications. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you haven't received the second birth, my challenge to you is to call out for mercy and beg God to grant you the second birth, that you might be born again, made alive in Christ. And for the rest of us, I want you to ask really hard, are my reasons for isolation at this time reasonable and justified? They may be, honestly, and they may not be. And you need to think about this. Is, have I created this new bad habit that I need to severely break and do so in the near future? Let's pray. And let's respond in song. Father, I thank you so much for your word. It is so apt and so important in this season and every season. Lord, nourish our souls. Awaken us spiritually that we would run hard after you. That we would be crying out like babies. I want my milk and I want solid food too as my regular diet not just on Sunday but every day morning afternoon and evening may we journey as a community as Peter called out the believers <coughs> then may your spirit call us out today too in Jesus name we pray amen